boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, and those that don't subscribe to gender. Welcome to the GOT Guy Questions Podcast with Spencer and Lee. Spencer, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. We are back. What happened, Spencer? Uh, we ran out of show and books and other material, but new things have happened. New things have happened. We are reviving, we resuscitating the Got Questions podcast to talk about some urgent news. It had been kicked around ever since about the beginning of season seven of Game of Thrones, I believe, that HP was considering a prequel. Uh, this prequel would be something from the source material, from the books, something. It's been very ambiguous to date, but Spencer, finally, we have a prequel. It's been greenlit for one season, 10 episodes, full season order. It's called House of the Dragon. I am excited about this. This is when we, we we've talked before between us about what the pre, what the various prequel options that have been kind of been discussed. We were most excited about. I wouldn't say this is my top one, but it's up there in terms of the ones that, that we were considering. Oh yeah, man! I was very excited. So let's let's back up and tell the people what the prequel, or at least what we know of the prequel, and what it's going to be. So it's basically going to be about the history of House Targaryen. Um, House Targaryen came to Westeros uh, from Valeria about 300 years before the start of Game of Thrones and proceeded to rule uh, up until season eight. <laughs> well, well, I guess season one, on. and season one and then briefly again in season eight for about 20 minutes. Yeah. And this is going to be about their history. And it's based, the source material is going to be based on is George R. R. Martin's book, Fire and Blood, which is um, the first part of a two-part series on the full history of House Targaryen. Also, A World of Ice and Fire includes about, I don't know, 100 pages of history at a very high level of the Targaryen kings. Yeah, George R. R. Martin included a wonderful entry on his Not A Blog, uh, where he's being very coy about what the show will be drawing inspiration from. He only said, uh, if you'd like to know a bit more about what the show will be about, well, I can't actually spill those beans, but you might want to pick up a copy of two anthologies I did with Gardner Doyce, Dangerous Women and Rogues, and then move on to Archmaester Gualdon's History, Fire, and Blood. So yeah, we're definitely going through all these other books that he's been writing while not writing the main series. So the fact that he referenced those two novellas is interesting. Makes me think that this is not going to be Aegon's Conquest, or at least it's not only Aegon's Conquest. Aegon's Conquest is uh, when Aegon decided he wanted to be ruler of seven kingdoms. At that point, all seven kingdoms were desperate. They were ruling on their own, and Aegon came, conquered them all, and unified them, except for Dorne, which he eventually got into the fold later. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's just going to be that, because the two novellas that he referenced are actually about... The Dance of Dragons. Very much so, yes. It, so, Spencer, do you want to tell us what the Dance of Dragons is? Dance of Dragons was fought about, I think, 150 years before the main series as the Great Targaryen Civil War between the Greens and the Blacks. as where, aside supporting essentially the daughter of the king, who everybody promised they would support, versus aside supporting instead the king's, uh, well, her half-brother, the king's new son that developed after that came afterwards. It was the civil war that essentially broke the back of House Targaryen. It set up very much the modern era of where they could no longer rely on dragons, because essentially almost all of them were killed, in the, killed or crippled during the war. They could no longer rely on the extensive family connections of their widespread family, because a large portion of the family had been killed on the field, or, or otherwise. It really forced them to be much more just a large, grand house ruling over Westeros. A fundamental weakening by which they had brief moments of resurgence, but never really effectively recovered, setting up the ultimate weakness we saw under the Mad King to the point that even a few grand houses allied together could overwhelm them in a way they could never have pondered at the time the Dance of Dragons started. So it is very much the seminal event that set up the modern Game of Thrones series. And it would be a hell of a watch if that's what they're going for. 
Yeah, I'm very interested to see if they start with the Dance of Dragons. Because if they do, I think you're looking at maybe a two to three seasons. Um, but if they start with Aegon's Conquest, you know, well, now you could potentially go seven, eight seasons like Game of Thrones did. So it'll be interesting where they go with it. But I think at a minimum, we're at some point going to get the Dance of Dragons. Dance of Dragons, really interesting event in the history of Westeros because without it, I don't see a path for my man, King Bobby B, hmm. ever ever taking the throne regardless of how mad king Ares is but with the dance of dragons so many people um or so many dragons were killed mm-hmm. that that sort of nuclear weapon that 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 trump card that they had went away or yeah. at least was marginalized yeah, I mean, you've got the king's dragon, the crippled, dying, and dying king, whose dragon itself is crippled to the point it can't fly anymore. You got another dragon that just kind of pieced out, and they're not sure where it are, where it is. And you got like a two or three other ones that are basically feral. The population of dragons went from like in the twenties to that in, yeah. our, in, in, a, in a couple year time. Yeah, and then it was no, it was like no time, maybe like what. 30, 40 years after that, there were no dragons. Oh, yeah. The, the king that came after, I mean, the king that won the war basically was poisoned and died kind of before the war ended. Then you got the famous Hour of the Wolf with the Starks basically say, hey, we're in charge now. We're going to pick who the next king is and r- arrange new laws that we like. And then you've got the king afterwards who's known as the Dragon Bane because the last dragon died under him. That's how fast we're going from the dragons are the basis of our power to this dragon has a head the size of an apple and is dying right now in front of me. Now, they're calling this House of the Dragon. How cool would it be if they end with just what you said? The, the last episode is the death of the last dragon. I mean, there's so much potential from this if it truly is fire and blood that they're basing off of, along with the other mythologies kind of focus. Okay. They could do the entire history of House Wester, of, of House Targaryen. They could do a season or two of Aegon's conquest, of trying to conquer Dorne, of the founding of the Kingsguard. They could go on to the Dance of Dragons and that incredible conflict. If he's written enough of them, they can then bridge into Dunk of Egg. There's incredible potential here. Now, Spencer, I have some faith that it actually is going to be based on the book Fire and Blood. And that's because number one with a bullet, A1 executive producer, is one George R. R. Martin. Now, it's true. When I told you this over text, the first thing you said is, oh, great. Now he's going <laughs> to, another thing <laughs> stopping him from writing. He has said he will not write anything. For Fire and Blood, until he delivers Winds of Winter. Do you believe him? Uh, yeah, I do. Weirdly enough, because his um, lately he's been pretty good yeah. about, or at least he's showing much more confidence that he's going to deliver Winds of Winter soon. I think in a not a blog post, he said he was going to go to like Worldcon next year, mm-hmm. and if he hadn't delivered Winds of Winter by then, like you could flay him or some yeah, joke he, like that. He did say that. He did. Now, question for Fire and Blood, just to set up for an audience that hasn't read it. Uh, Fire and Blood goes from the Aegon's Conquest through when? I'm trying to remember right now. It's, it's only half of the Targaryen history in Fire and Blood. I believe it goes through the, the, end lead of, up, the lead up to the Dance of Dragons, I believe. Right. And so pairing that again with the short, with the no, kind of novella short stories that are in Danish Women and Rogues, that again sets our framing. Of from Aegon's Conquest to pretty much the end of the Dance of Dragons is clearly set out in these stories. So that is the realm of Targaryen history we have to work with. That's a lot of lot of material. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so I, it just depends, man. I just don't know how long they want this to go. Now it is important to note um, who's involved in this. So yeah. we previously had showrunners Dan and Dave D and D, 
um, which you you love. Uh, they ran, <laughs> sure. They ran the full eight seasons of Game of Thrones. They are not involved with this project, so exhale everyone. Pointedly, they to the point where they felt the need to announce that they're not involved. The showrunners are going to be uh, Ryan Condal, who is a a known entity, and then here it is, Miguel Sapochnik. And here's the thing: this makes me a little bit nervous slash curious. Miguel Sapochnik is a very well-known entity for us. He's been one of the greatest directors that they put on the show. He's done some marvelous episodes, even episodes where we had questions about the writing. His directing was incredible in terms of watching it played out. Ryan Condal, I don't know. I looked him up a little bit, and I find it curious that they basically are putting him to be one of the helmers and seemingly the sole announced writer at this point of their new flagship series, the successor to Game of Thrones. Do you know what he's done before? He's done a bunch of like big budget like special effects stuff. And that's yeah. why considering we're going to have a bunch of dragons, I thought he was a, a decent choice. It makes sense for that. They aren't great films, but they are definitely big budget extravaganzas. Where he did Hercules, which was fine. He did Rampage, which was a good movie if you had a couple drinks. Hey, wait a second. I, I shed a tear for that big ape. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Many an Italian director has been happy that you did that. Um, he also did the series, uh, a sci-fi series that I did not watch called Colony. Do you know anything about that one? No got, idea. Got decent reviews, and it's something apparently that George R. R. Martin liked quite a bit. What strikes me as interesting is how George R. R. Martin describes Ryan Condal on the Nada blog, of where very much again... This is a guy that he met personally that came to him to talk about his ideas and was a huge fan of the books and knew a lot about the books and originally came to him and said, hey, I'd like to do Dunkin' Egg. And instead they got in this track. This seems like very much similar to what we heard about how D&D originally got connected with George R. R. Martin, where he seems to resonate well with people that don't have a much of a background in the subject, don't have much of a you know resume to bring to bear but have a lot of passion for the books and a lot of knowledge about them. So maybe Ryan Condal got started in a very similar kind of way. Well, Ryan Condal is ready to retire with his resume compared to what D&D had when they this, came into this. This is true. This is true. D &D had Three nothing. is better than none. Yeah, he, they had done absolutely nothing. But uh, one thing I think is interesting, and <clears throat> HBO's executives have stated this, that George R. R. Martin, they consider an HBO entity. Yeah. And he has a lot of say about which projects move forward and which ones don't. And the word on the street is that the other prequel that they consider, the first one, based on The Long Night, which we can discuss in a second, only went to pilot because Martin pushed it so hard. Yeah, that's what I They heard. were never interested in it. They always wanted the big budget, like, you know, dragons, and to be a little bit closer to the timeline of Game of Thrones, just so the casual fan of Game of Thrones could connect it in some way. The, the story about the, uh, the the Long Night, that would have been set like thousands of years before Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Back in the Age of Heroes kind of thing. Like, t so far in the past, they don't really have an accurate measure of how many years it might have been. Like, maybe 10,000? But they had no system of writing even then to keep track. Yeah, but Martin had the pull to even get that thing to go to pilot. Um, and it looks like they, the pilot was made, they produced it, they showed it to HBO executives... HBO shelved the series, well, canned it, really, mm -hmm. so they're not going forward, and parallel to that announced the 10-episode run of House of Dragons 
uh, but what's in, House of the Dragon? But what's interesting to me is that they don't even have a pilot of House of Dragon. House of the Dragon. So they they went to a full season order with just a concept. It, and it's really interesting too because uh, the other series, which I think was going to be entitled Blood Moon, do I have that right? I think George R. Martin was always pushing for the title of The Long Night, but it had never been agreed on. I don't uh, think they fight. Yeah, they, they they never finalized an actual name, but I think HBO was leaning toward Blood Moon. Uh, what's interesting is that the way HBO had done this is that they essentially, as Game of Thrones was in its like sixth season or seventh season, whatever else, they kind of uh, tagged like five big writers uh, to basically, okay, I want all of you to work with George R. R. Martin and workshop ideas on the successor series. And they all came back with their own different ideas. The reason that by that period we had all of these other different show, successor shows announced or at least discussed, because they were all pondering different ways of, of going on with this, of the material. Uh, Blood Moon, Long Night, whatever you want to call it, was brought forward by Jane Goldman, who is a very known entity. She's done a lot of major works, everything from uh, the Kingsman series, which I find really amusing, X-Men First Class, Kick-Ass. She's, done, she's a very well-established writer. You're saying she's more established than Ryan Condal? Uh, quite a bit. <laughs> um, it I liked was, Rampage, though. I know you liked Rampage. Let's say, pick Rampage, and then let's make another six movies attached to that, and that's her background, essentially. So, <laughs> she's, been, she's had a long career. She's been very well regarded. And so it was being marketed as being very much the flagship option they're considering, to the point that the pilot starred Naomi Watts, among with an incredible other cast of actors that they'd all brought in to do this. It was very much like, this is the one HBO's investing all of their money in. And then it just stopped. And no one really knows why. They'd filmed the pilot, apparently. It has an all-star cast. It's got a great series of writers and a lot of budget being thrown at it. And George R. R. Martin apparently adored it. He even announced that it was in post-production. And then, a month after a lot of that news came out, done. HBO just cans it. And no one really knows why. George R. R. Martin even ponders on his not blog why exactly this happened. So I have a, I have a theory, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. I don't know that, I mean, it, as, to your point, it's not out there. We don't yeah. know why this didn't go forward. My belief is that they were not able to, because they're setting this in the long night, because it's thousands of years before Game of Thrones, they were not able to connect the pilot to Game of Thrones in a way that a casual fan would have any conception that these two shows are related. Yeah, Because think about like the really good spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Frasier. Well, you have Frasier. He was a character in Cheers. Very much so. You better call Saul. You have Saul. He's clearly, <laughs> you know, he's he's a character, one of the main characters in Breaking Bad. He's the main character in Better Call Saul. Yeah. But with when you're setting something thousands of years before, you know, the original series, there's no connection there. No. I mean, literally most of the houses that we even know today wouldn't exist back then. You got the Starks. Holy Stark, right? You base it around the Starks, but the rest of the houses, if you're going back far enough... The Lannisters don't exist yet. Don't exist yet because Lan the Clever hasn't taken Casterly Rock from the Casterlies. Uh, House um, Tyrell doesn't exist yet because they didn't come around until the Ty- until the Targaryens did. House freaking uh, House Martell and Doran hasn't even freaking invaded yet. This it, is how far back we're talking. Uh, you don't even have House Baratheon. They don't exist yet until the Targaryens show up. So this is Ories. Yeah, this is amazingly far back in the past. I so I definitely think there's an element of that. The other concern that we all that we both talked about previously when they were really pushing this show is going to be the successor is that it didn't sound that interesting. It I mean it was about an interesting enough period of history. It really in, didn't. In yeah. terms of the age of heroes, whatever else. But if it's really just being built around the long night, we've kind of seen it. And it was honestly a rather lackluster element in terms of the resolution of the la- of the last season. It didn't seem like it was bringing much to bear. 
So you're talking about a show that has no grounding in any established world or universe that we understand or have a connection to, particularly for the casual fans, and as well as going into a material that, while it, The Age of Heroes itself is a fascinating series of things, it seems like it would lend itself more to anthology because they're happening over thousands of years, and if you're building it around the long night, we kind of already know how that works now. It's not really offering much new and interesting. It's more just like, okay, here's another zombie show. Great. Yeah, I agree. I, I just think, you know, and it's <laughs> when it came, when the news broke that they were moving forward with a Long Night prequel, I remember you and I kind of like looking at each other like, oh, well, okay. I mean, I, I'll take what we can get, but this is probably not what I would have chosen. And so I would like to, uh, on that in that vein, okay. pivot to a discussion about, okay, Spencer, George R. R. Martin comes to you uh, a year and a half ago and says, hey, Spencer, you know the, you know the, you know the canon really well. Mm-hmm. You're a scholar of A Song of Ice and Fire. What do you want to see? What prequel would you like? Dunkin' Egg. Dunkin' Egg. Dear God, Dunkin' Egg. It, Dunkin' that, Egg. Apps of friggin'... There, it's such... It, it so effectively lends itself to an to an episode format of where you can do each ep, each novella of Dunkin' Egg over two or three episodes. They're incredible stories. They're centered on characters. They go to the character folks that, that HBO loves. They're covering recent enough events in the past that even people that are alive in Game of Thrones that you know are appearing in the series. It'd be perfect. But it has one massive flaw. And what is that, sir? Well, there's only three. Yeah. It's the flaw that George R. Martin <laughs> likes it a lot. Probably likes it more than the actual main series at this point, And wants to finish it himself. He wants to write more material in it. He desperately yep. doesn't want the same thing to happen that happened with Game of Thrones. He does not want the show to go beyond him. He does not want the show to write what effectively is his own legacy. That's Martin wh- is not finishing Duck and Egg, by the way. What did he say? He was going to get to like eight or nine stories, something like that? That is literally his goal, yeah. Not happening. The man's 71 years old. He, still doesn't, he hasn't even given us wins. And he's going to write some episodes of House of the Dragon? Come on. Yeah. You're not getting Duncan Egg. I mean, he's ambitious, if nothing else. He's always been ambitious, but... I'm just hopeful enough we'll get one more Dunkin' Egg, and I'll be content enough with that, just how delightful the stories are. But I can understand why George R. Martin is being very protective of that. Uh, he, he really took it on the chin that the series got got past him and did not clearly seem to like where the series went in terms of the plotting based on some of his comments that he's made. Mm, well, he's the only one. Uh, so I think I can understand why he wants to be able to do that himself. It's just such a loss because that would be such a great series to do. Um, as a fallback, though, yep. Of the various other options that they pondered, Fire and Blood House uh, or Aegon's Conquest. We were always considering those two different series, but maybe they'll do Aegon's Conquest or maybe they'll do the Dance of Dragons. If they can combine those two together. That's my second and third options in terms of favorite ones they considered right there. Yeah, yeah, we're in the same page. Because if you would, same question to me, I would have said Aegon's Conquest 1, I would have said Dance of Dragons 2, I would have said Dunkin' Egg 3. Really? You would put Dunkin' Egg that far down? Well, it's just, I feel like it would go very quickly. I mean, these are very short novellas. We only have three of them. I mean, you could do that in just like a miniseries. It would have to be that kind of format. Now, they... HBO always surprised me their willingness to throw money at things that don't make sense other than the fact they'd be a good story, like see the Deadwood movie. That made very little sense to throw as much money at that as they did, given how long ago the series ended and how they just kind of let the series end as it did. But it was ma- it was amazing. It was a wonderful was ending story. Good. I guarantee they probably didn't make their money back for it, but it was great. 
well, it's kind of hard for HBO to say if they've made their money sure. on something because it's it's just like they just want to create a library to retain subscribers. Yeah, so it's, I don't think there's a real a, a way to figure out if it was quote worth their money. I guess they could do it on views or whatever. Um, but a quick tangent: Do you know uh, factoid on the Deadwood movie? Do you know how long it took them to film that? Oh, I don't know. How long? Two weeks. You're kidding. No, they literally blew through it in two weeks. <laughs> Holy shit. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, Cause, well, because they had so many different actors who had all of these schedules. Like, it was very tough to get everybody in the room. It's kind of like the same thing they dealt with with Arrested Development, where when they brought Arrested Development back on Netflix, they couldn't get everybody in the same room at the same time. And so they had an entire season where it's like you never saw more than two or three characters in the same place at the same time. That is really interesting because David Melch is just famous for taking his sweet ass time to do even just film an episode because he l- wants it precisely perfect the exact way that he's imagined. He's willing to make the actors do a dozen different takes, who even knows how many, to get the perfect vision that he's after. And he's also famous for just rewriting things on the freaking fly when the episode's happening. So that is an impressive amount of discipline on his part to bang that out in that kind of material, in that kind of time frame. Yeah, I think that's all they had. But anyway, back to back to the the, <laughs> the uh, subject at hand. Yeah, I, I think that they're going forward with a concept that would have been my number one. So I'm really, really excited about it. Now, you didn't really offer your opinion, but what do you think about the showrunners? I mean, I know you are a diehard fan of Miguel Spochnik for good reason. Uh, do you think pairing him with a relatively new writer with George R. R. Martin having an oversight over everything is a... a, a, a uh, a hopeful means of success. Well, you you keep saying relatively new writer, but like, I mean, the guy has done multiple big budget projects. Mm-hmm. So he, I don't think you can really classify him as like an unknown entity. Like, I think he he has a little bit of street cred he's bringing to. The, he's not D and D as I pointed out before. Sure. Now Sapochnik obviously has a longer resume. I have much more faith in him. Um, but Ryan Condal, I think, I mean, he he's a he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. at the very least. You you don't you don't look Spencer. You don't direct a Dwayne the Rock Johnson vehicle <laughs> and not know what you're doing. Okay. Uh, did he direct? <laughs> did he direct it or did he write it? I don't know. We, we, sure. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> if you're involved in a rock production, top of your you got, game you right got there. You qualified in my book. Uh, but I would say that I think it's very very important that these two showrunners have George R. R. Martin there with him because I think that their strength is big budget productions and you're going to need that with the dragons and the battles and all that but the story still has to be there because we saw that in season 8 where the production value was sky high I mean mm-hmm. I think that's why season 8 had so many Emmy wins and Emmy nominations because you it was unassailable the quality of what you were watching from a production standpoint sure. but the writing wasn't there and so they're going to have to keep George R. R. Martin in the loop as long as they do that I feel really good about it because, I mean, can you imagine like many of those different like in the sky dragon battles or on the ground battles between the greens and the blacks? Could be incredible with Sapochnik directing, dude. That could be incredible. But they need to make sure that the writing is there, right? Because he can make something as beautiful as possible. But if the if the maintaining the arc, if the arc has gotten lost, if the character growth has gone to the wayside in favor of spectacle, it's just no longer is. It's no longer the series we got invested in originally. And right. this one has a whole new potential in terms of setting it out with these kind of resources, with this kind of material, to do what they want with it. They just need to be stay focused on what this, why the series is as incredible as it is. Now, it's, it's fun that you mentioned George R. R. Martin's involvement, because he's really 
again, an ambitious guy about how much he wants to be involved in the show, but a brief quote from him about what he's saying needs to be done still on this show. Uh, there's a writer's room to be assembled, episodes to be broken down and scripted, a cast and crew to be assembled, budget and production details to be worked out. As yet, we don't even know where we'll be shooting. Skipping down, skipping down. I expect to be involved in all of this. Yep. And, who, and who knows? If things work out, I may be able to script a few episodes. So he really views himself as, I'm not just an executive producer in name only. I'm running this damn thing. Yeah, or at least, you know, heavily involved. And I think that's really good. I, I, I like the idea of Martin working hand-in-hand with Sapochnik mm-hmm. on this series. Um, I think the the thing that worries me about it is that, you know, Martin has written the history of these houses in such a way that if you start with Aegon's Conquest, there's not that many names that the casual viewer is going to recognize. Of mm-hmm. course, Targaryen, of course, Stark, Lannister. But you you look at, like, House Gardner. They're not going to know who the fuck that is. Yeah, they got like they, so. They, there's a number of houses that they're going to have to reintroduce, and trying to make that connection where the casual viewer is like, okay, I, I just remember like Danny and John. How did they get connected and, and involved in this story, uh, other than just having to learn it all brand new? They're going to have to take their time with it. I mean, even when you're introducing Aegon and his sister wives, they're referenced on the show, and people are going to know who Targaryens are, but they're not going to know who these people are, and particularly not the world they're operating in. There's enough familiarity that they can be willing to go with you but you got to lead their hand for a while to get them there which leads to a question from me with this you know 150 years of targaryen history that they're talking about here how would you structure this show because some people that i was reading about were saying well they'll do like an anthology of where they'll do the entire 150 years over 10 episodes and i think that would be a horrible idea if that's what they're terrible you talk about rushed i that that would be you'd have no hope of getting invested in the characters. You'd only be basically building a show around the spectacle to make that in any way kind of work. How would you break this out in terms of, if you were said, okay, I want to adapt Fire and Blood and all the various novellas about Dance of Dragons to the screen. How would you pace it? How would you divide it up? How many seasons do you think you would need? It's a good question. And I would answer it with two different hats on. The first hat is as a fan. (laughs) <laughs> what do I want to see? What yeah. I want to see is start with Aegon's Conquest and literally go all the way through. Mm-hmm. Do Give me eight or nine seasons. And you can probably do it because the actor turnover, you know, is going to be there because, you know, Aegon's going to die, right? Good King Darian's going to die. And you can, you could maybe do it. That's what I'd like to see as a fan. Now, if I am HBO and I'm greenlighting this show to make money, I would do just the Dance of Dragons. So I would do maybe five episodes leading up to the death of, what's the king's name who died? Oh, man. Among the things I should know. I'll look it up while you're talking. One second. Yeah, yeah. So the, it, basically the, the Dance of Dragons happens as a fight for succession. Ah, oh, shout out succession. Mm-hmm. Check out Mango Talks TV. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then it's Viserys a, the first. Viserys, yeah. He dies. And then it becomes a battle between his his older daughter and his younger son mm-hmm. on who is succeeding. I would start by episode five, he dies, and I would maybe do three seasons. I think if you do that, you're guaranteed success. Mm-hmm. I think if you do what I described one as a fan, it could absolutely flame out into season two or three after Aegon takes over and you have to start introducing new Targaryen kings. Right. I mean, it seems like if they want to do these, they can't do all of Fire and Blood. Because I like Fire and Blood. We both very much enjoyed it. It's a dry, yep. it's a dry read. It's a lot of detail about Targaryen kings and tar- Targaryen kings and, kings and queens in there. They oh, yeah. cover over the entire period of time. There's a, 
large gaps you're going to have to jump. It seems like if they want to do a broad ray, array of the Targaryen history, they got to focus on certain key events. They got to spend two or three seasons of Dagon's Conquest if they want to do that. They got to spend two or three seasons on the Dance of Dragons if they want to do that. And in terms of events in between, there's a lot going on that they could do. Um, it would just, they have to be disciplined about it. They have to basically pick what arcs of this story would make the best material and focus on that. But to do those would be a hell of a thing because you'd have an entirely different set of characters for each time you come back to the story. Yep. And that's what's tough is, you know, if you actually go through Fire and Blood, there's so many characters that show up for 20 seconds and go yeah. away. And I mean, how is that going to suck in an audience? I, I don't know. I mean, part of the strength of the original series, Game of Thrones, is you had characters that were went all through eight seasons. Arya Stark, Sansa, Jon, Danny. They were there all eight seasons. And we got invested in them because of it. For this, yep. I don't think you can do eight seasons about any of these events by themselves. You can do eight seasons about House Targaryen. But you got to be able to get your audience invested in, in some ways in the mythos of the house and in the realm itself to get them to be willing to make the jumps that you inevitably have to talk about. Because you can't do everything. You can't do all of it. As interesting as it might be for us as a fans to see it all laid out there, it would an audience would get lost for not having that degree of investment in individuals. Agreed. And I think that's why ultimately they're probably going to settle on two to three seasons of the dance of dragons. Mm -hmm. It'll be good. It'll be tight. And then they can, they can consider, okay, is there another story in Westeros that we want to tell? Do we want to go back to the long night? Do we want to do Duncan egg? I mean, there's a lot of possibilities, but I, I think to make this one successful, it should have a recurring cast. It should be over a set period of time and it should be tight. How many Duncan egg would you require before you'd be content with a series of it? How many Duncan egg novellas? I don't think I'd ever do an actual series. I thought I would do a mini series of sure. Dominic. And I would do one, maybe one hour and a half, um, essentially a movie within this mini series for each one. So let's say George does two more before they're ready to do it. Mm -hmm. Then I'd have a mini series of between one hour and one and a half hour episodes that are five, five, five long. I think you could do a little bit more than an hour and a half hour. I think you could maybe even do a 12, a 12 episode mini series if you had, you know, uh, four or five of these to do but I agree that this would not lend itself to a actual you know regular TV show kind of thing it would be right. a we're releasing this because the fans will find it awesome kind of miniseries yeah I agree alright well let's go to the timeline for this and then we can discuss a little bit about what we're going to do with this podcast and we can we can wrap up if that's okay with you got a plan okay so they have what's and I mentioned this earlier what's so interesting is that they Ordered, ordered this to series and it's really just words on paper right now they don't have anything so they're going to have to start casting they're going to do that probably the next three to four months get pick locations etc cetera, etc cetera. i think it's reasonable to assume they could potentially start shooting maybe in early or late spring early summer of next year if they do that that puts them about on the same schedule that the original few seasons of game of thrones went so they would start around june They'd wrap up production September. Then they'd do five, six months of post-production, maybe a little bit more, and they would debut in the spring, early summer. So I think that's probably what we're looking at. If I had to bet on it, I would say that we see the first episode of House of the Dragon in May of 2021. It's still so interesting to me that HBO's done it in this way, because HBO's really fond of pilots and really willing to trash shows 
based on solely the pilot if it did not meet their standards. I mean, famously, yep. the Game of Thrones pilot, the original pilot, has never been seen by anybody else because HBO went, this is horrible, start again. Right. Um, as we saw now for the show Blood Moon or Long Night, whatever you want to call it, they looked at the pilot and they apparently went, nope, that's not what we want, and just canned the show. So for them to, th- for them to say, no, unseen 10 episodes go, I don't even know how to think about that. I mean... It seems like that HBO is going to set it to screen regardless from that amount of money they're putting into it. But I just don't know whether that's necessarily still going to be the case if HBO looks at this and goes, eh, changed our mind. Do you think if they've, with them now saying we've ordered a 10 episode show, this is happening regardless of what goes happens going forward? Or do you think HBO still yes. reserves the right to, to end this if something goes wrong? I, my understanding is that when they order a series, they order a series. Um, that right. It's going to happen. Um, I mean, they have to lock people into contracts. I mean, they obviously have to lock Miguel Sapochnik into 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. I guess you could have termination provisions of all those, but there'd probably be a lot of damages you have to pay out. So, or, or fees or whatever associated with that termination. So I don't know. I think it's going to happen. I think we're going to see it mid 2021, mm-hmm. which will be super exciting. Cause hopefully it'll be premiering around the time of Con of Thrones 2021. That's true. That's just that'd be exciting right there. Yeah, it'd be that'd be a lot of fun, right? So, okay, now we go to the future of the GOT Guy Questions podcast. Spencer, what are we doing? We have no plans because we don't know a time frame here. <laughs> no. So here's the thing: you likely won't hear from us again until there's either really big casting or writing news out of um, House of the Dragon or. God forbid, fingers crossed. Don't jinx it, Terry. We get a something, new something a new, new book. We get a something. Yeah, uh, we could get Winds of Winter. We maybe we get a volume two of Fire and Blood. Maybe we get Duncan Egg. But if we get any more source material about Westeros from George R. R. Martin, we'll definitely hop on and do another pod. Okay. We're Jones and Ford at this point. We adore this material so much. We love talking about it. To have these new opportunities for new materials released, we will be ready there to discuss it with you. Yeah, and now let's say we don't get a new book by July of next year. The next podcast you'll hear from us is likely our Con of Thrones review, because we are going to Con of Thrones again. Mm-hmm. Set where this time, sir? Orlando, Florida. Spencer, did you have a, a say in this? Did you dictate this? I claim nothing. <laughs> so how far is Orlando from you? Uh, it's about three hours. God, Florida's a big state. <laughs> it's surprisingly large. But, you know, I'm glad I finally found a way to get you into Florida somehow. Yeah, yeah, well, it's going to work. I'm going to be there. Spencer, anything else you want to talk about about the breaking news of the 10-episode order of House of the Dragons, a Game of Thrones prequel? Just that it it was really interesting to see the amount of disappointment that hit in the fan base of when they first announced that Blood Moon was canceled, with no other explanation. And then, it was like a day later, there was a delay between these things. They then said, oh, but we've greenlit doing Fire and Blood. Oh, man, that was a whiplash effect on people. But I'm yeah. excited. This is this is the material I was hoping that they would do. I was going to watch Blood Moon Long Night and be content with it, even though sure. it wasn't what I wanted. But this sure. sounds legitimately exciting. I have questions about necessarily how it's going to do, how it's going to be structured, the the chops necessarily the people that are running it. But I'm excited in a way I've not been for a while now. It's been a bit of a, bit of a uh, lost in the wilderness kind of thing for game of thrones that i'm back i'm ready to go this is gonna be exciting once we know more details 
Couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks, everybody, for joining the Back from the Dead GOT Got Questions podcast. We will be back when we have more news. Thanks, everyone. See you.